0: Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. We have to learn how to pray, says Pope John Paul II. We have to learn to pray as it were, learning this art ever anew from the lips of the divine master himself, like the first disciples who say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, our Christian communities must become genuine schools of prayer, where the meeting with Christ is expressed, not just imploring help, but also in thanksgiving, praise, adoration, contemplation, listening, and ardent devotion until the heart truly falls in love. Again, Pope John Paul II. When I was a child, my parents taught me that first prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep right before bedtime. And now, and as a parent myself, I intentionally chose not to teach it to my own children, mainly because I discovered a nighttime prayer that I personally found a bit more mature and poetic and beautiful. It just so happens to come out of the prayer book tradition, the Book of Common Prayer. Guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping. Although there is nothing arguably theologically erroneous about now I lay me down to sleep, I simply discovered that I outgrew this prayer because as I matured and ripened as a young man, and now as a middle-aged man, (laughs) I desire a more stable and settled prayer for my nighttime routine. And not only this, I wanted to gift my own children with a prayer that not only aged well, but matured alongside of them. In today's gospel, Jesus makes a similar move. He not only gave the Our Father to a few grown men, he offered it as a constant companion, which had the potential to not only mature alongside them, but to continuously learn the art of prayer ever anew. Quoting Pope John Paul II again. For those of us who are over the age of six, we only pick up a copy of Mother Goose's nursery rhymes when we're reading to our children or grandchildren, nieces, nephews, cousins, preschoolers. They are enduring poetry and coupled, I would argue, with Grimm's fairy tales or Aesop's fables, reveal deep morals and abiding character traits that have traditionally set children up for success especially when that child has access to adults in their lives who actually live out the morality found in those stories. As an adult, I'm often convicted when I read and reread these. There are profound truths held within them, which I never picked up on, never realized as a child. And it excites me to think about my own children, discovering these stories within themselves, as if for the first time. I quoted William Shakespeare's Hamlet a moment ago. His famous soliloquy is usually introduced at the high school or college levels. And it's written into these institutions' curricula because the student's mind at that level can read and comprehend and articulate abstract and complex concepts, something our nursery school children just simply cannot do based upon biological development. And I juxtapose Mary Had a Little Lamb with Hamlet to make the point that we grow up, we move on, we live, we struggle, and all along the way we look, do we not, for stories, music, art, poetry, liturgies, prayers that help us to make sense of this crazy life. But listen, listen, If we're middle-aged or older and we're still reading those same old books or praying the same old prayers and still interpreting them in the same old ways, then what are we doing? There's nothing wrong with listening to the same music or loving the same movie, but if we haven't allowed ourselves to mature alongside them, then what good are they accomplishing within us? The Episcopal Church, our tradition, has been acting out the same Eucharistic liturgy since about 1979. Can you perhaps articulate the ways in which these beautiful prayers and these liturgies have shaped and reshaped your own beliefs about God, mankind, and the world through the years? I certainly hope that all of us, and with God's grace, are continuing to learn the art of prayer ever anew. Today, Jesus gives us the Our Father prayer. We're introduced to it as Christians. If you've been a Christian your whole life, perhaps you've been praying it since your nursery school days, and now pray it as an adult. Through life's natural cycles, you, and like Jesus' disciples, have asked along life's path, Lord, teach us how to pray. So God taught you again for the first time when you were in school God taught you again when you acquired your first job. God taught you again when you fell in love. God taught you to pray this prayer by yourself as well as in community. You saw this prayer in a different light when you said it at weddings or attended a best friend's funeral. Perhaps you were taught it again when you witnessed your own child or grandchild's baptism or in one of the church's high holy days. Eucharists. It's Jesus's teaching prayer. It's his accompanying prayer and therefore it's our prayer, the church's prayer, given to us as a gift that changes and matures and reveals God the Father to us every step of the way and with God's beautiful paternalistic sustaining love. So again, how has this prayer accompanied you throughout your own life? I found it interesting and somewhat revealing on Jesus' disciples' part that they not only asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, but in asking him this, they compared his way of teaching to John the Baptist's way that he taught his own disciples. The gospel reads Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. How is this revealing? How many times do we as humans and our institutions get caught up in comparing ourselves with one another and in doing so are arrested in our development, spiritual and otherwise? I want you, God, to teach me how to pray like John teaches his disciples can easily turn into the never-ending trap of looking for the next big thing, keeping up with the Joneses, spiritually speaking. And don't get me wrong, it's perfectly admirable, proper, and expected to ask God, your church, your clergy, or one of the fellow baptized Christians to teach you how to pray. But what was arguably misdirected with the disciples' question behind the question was his comparing John with Jesus. Jesus would later address this predicament with his disciples when he candidly asked them, but who do you say that I am? In other words, there were lots of rumors and mischaracterizations and ill intentions when those not close to Jesus had to say so. But to his closest disciples, to his friends, he showed them mercy and gave them what they wanted, even if the intentions of their hearts carried envy and jealousy. More than any other gospel, prayer is a theme throughout St. Luke's. Gospel, and Jesus is the one revealing to us his life of prayer. Key moments within his life's journey, his baptism, the calling of his disciples, his transfiguration, his passion, place prayer at the center because they show Jesus the man desiring total submission to God the Father, to know God's will perfectly, and to carry it out. Thus, his prayers throughout his own life reveal themselves to be model prayers for us. And so I'll ask again, what does your prayer life look like? How has it changed over the years? How has it matured alongside you? Are you able to teach others how to pray or to discern God's will Do you experience this, your parish home, as a house of prayer? These types of questions are honest questions of any disciple, any friend, any follower of Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus teaching you today? What adventures is God calling you to? Well, why not pray about it and ask him again as if for the first time? And God bless you.